This is Brett from Washington State, and I love a good podcast. That's why I never listen to I Doubt It with Dolomore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. Good day or evening or morning, I guess. Loyal audience. And welcome to I Doubt It with Dollamore, episode 170. Holy shit. 170 episodes deep. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and sitting across from me, as she has loyally for the past 170 plus episodes, including our bonus episodes, my lovely co-host, filled with intelligence and humor and wit and probably some other stuff. All right. Brittany Page. That's enough. (laughs) I also failed to mention that you really love... Starting podcasts at 11.46 p.m. Yeah, I don't. It is your favorite thing. I don't like that. But what <laughs> happened was, what happened was, I saw that that uh, Comedy Central had released a segment of Nathan For You. Oh, right. And Nathan For You is one of my favorite shows. It's a television program mm-hmm. on Comedy Central. And we're not going to get into it, but very funny. And Brittany... Since we cut the cord, we don't have Comedy Central anymore. Right. And Brittany scours the internet for any trace that we can find of the program that is legally obtainable. Exactly. Yeah. Right because on. Because it's, it's one of my favorite programs. It is one of your favorites. Listen, before we start the show and before we get into our, our lovely action-packed episode today holy and, shit and it is you're telling me it's gonna be a long show and we'll see what happens really that's <laughs> we will see what happens <laughs> you are right wow that's that's bold and informative mm-hmm. very you're prognosticating mm. we will see what happens yes <laughs> it's eleven forty-seven. So. before we do i want to say that i am still eagerly awaiting your Thanksgiving submissions for our Thanksgiving episode. Thanksgiving this year is on November 26th. Today, for you, it is November 9th. So there is only so many days left for you to submit and me to compile this this thing that we do, or this thing that we have started to do last year. And we want to hear from you. So 657-464-7609. 657-464-7609, or better yet, email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We want to hear the things for which you are thankful. We are starting, they are starting to trickle in. We have received some, but I, I don't want to be left in the lurch and not, maybe you'll just hear the same four or five repeated over and over for 15 minutes. <laughs> uh, I don't want that to happen, so... Get in on the action, let us know, participate with us, and by extension, helping us move the conversation forward about thanks and about genuine gratitude. 
Well, and we like to hear what different people are thankful for. You know, it it, it yeah. never ends up being where everyone just calls in and says the same thing. It's always these very unique contributions that people make. And that's what we're looking for. We just want to hear these unique perspectives about right. what being thankful means to you and what Thanksgiving means to you. Well, maybe there's... Maybe there's delay because people are really trying to be reflective mm-hmm. and really nuanced about the things for which they have thanks and gratitude. So if that's the case, that's great. But don't sleep on it because I am a lazy turd and I don't want to have to wait until the evening before we release the episode to put the final finishing touches on the production. So help us out. So as, as you know, as a listener to the program... Program. <laughs> um, I guess that's a new thing that we do because you just pointed at me and made me say it. Well, I don't say that I'm in the Marine Corps or was in the Marine Corps anymore, so I don't give you an opportunity to say Jesse was a Marine. Everybody. Well, we still do the news thing. New. We, we have the little thing where I copy what you say. Well, what? How that started? And I'm not. We're not going to get into the weeds here, but that started because. When you speak and you and I, I don't want to fumble fuck my words, so I want to enunciate. Mm-hmm. I have a tendency to to say new, like it's a weird, I don't know, a broadcaster thing or something. Mm-hmm. Not like I'm trained, mm-hmm. classically trained radio guy. You might be. <laughs> anyway, so with all of the talk of of Ben Carson and his Seventh Day Adventism. And our being friends with Ryan Bell and having had him on the show many times, it something clicked in me this week. And I remembered this memory of when I was a kid and mm-hmm. my youngest brother was just a toddler. Like mm-hmm. really not even, he was just coming into talking. And our, our neighbor was babysitting my youngest brother. Mm-hmm. And we had gotten home or the story was relayed to me that our neighbor who was a Seventh-day Adventist, nutter butter. This lady believed that Ronald Reagan, who was president at the time, was trying to pass what are called Blue Sunday Laws, where to make it illegal to attend church on any day other than Sunday. (laughs) She believed this. It was a super weird conspiracy theory within the Seventh-day Adventist... Tradition. Yeah, absolutely. So... Anyway, just to paint a picture of what a weird nutter butter religious lady she was. Right. When she told my mom, when my mom picked up my youngest toddler brother from her babysitting him, and said, listen, I had to spank... Oh, my God. Your your son. No. Because he used foul language. What? Well, my little brother was only maybe a year, year and change... He wasn't a talker at the time. Uh-huh. So my mom asked, oh, well, what did he say? Mm-hmm. And she re- she replied, well, he he called me a hussy. <laughs> Uh-oh. Someone have a guilty conscience? Well, it was weird because it wasn't 1842 or 1920. <laughs> right. It was like 1988, mm-hmm. 1987. Mm-hmm. He didn't... Hussy wasn't in anyone's vocabulary. Right. And it wasn't like he was sitting around watching Turner classic movies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It was just weird. And also weird that she felt... Spanking someone tip, else's yeah, kid. tip top. Totally 
top notch to spank another person's child. Yeah, no. She's hitting another person's child for saying something that really isn't even a cuss. Even if he had called her a hussy, it's not like, hey, you fucking cunt. Even if he had said that, (laughs) you do not spank another person's child. Right. You shouldn't even be spanking your kid. No. By all accounts. That's no. It's just weird that it would be like, oh, I had to hit your kid. (laughs) How do you explain that? What do you mean you had to hit my kid? That's the best way. Oh, listen, listen. Some shit went down when you were gone and I had to beat the shit out of your kid. (laughs) Sorry about that. Yeah. And it wasn't even apologizing. It was just informational. Yeah, that's disturbing. It's like, well, this is what happened. You know, I fed him the peas at 12 o'clock. He went down for a nap at 2 o'clock. We did a beating. And then I beat the shit out of him because he <laughs> called me a 1920s curse word. <laughs> uh, just letting you know. Yeah. Anyway, I don't think that my, my mom, it, with all of her failings, I, I, I don't think that she, uh, she sent him back to be babysat mm-hmm. by the nutter. Well, that is probably a very good choice because <laughs> that is disturbing. One of few. One of few. Anyway, I don't know. That just came to my mind this week while all this Ben Carson craziness and, you know, all the talk of the Seventh-day Adventist and Ryan Bell had an article in the in the Guardian about Seventh-day Adventism. So it, uh, it just popped into the old, uh, the old uh, melon, as they say. All right, well, let's kick off our segment of follow-up as we always do. Last time on the show, we talked about uh, a Facebook post. I thought it was, I thought, Brittany, that it was an article that was written Mm -hmm. until you just sent me the link for me to talk about it. Pretty sure I told you during our discussion that it was just a Facebook post, but that's okay. Well, 10% of what you say goes in one ear and out, I guess, the other. Uh-huh. I was that say, would be the phrase. I was going to say something else, but maybe that's not a show appropriate. Mm. Anyway, on this Facebook post, it the title of it is How to Talk to Your Daughter About Her Body. And step one is don't talk to your daughter about her body. Mm-hmm. And we actually got a lot of response to this. It resonated with a lot of, of women. Not We didn't really hear from any men, but... It resonated with a lot of women because it's something that I think most probably go through in their early childhood, and it's important. So joining us via the miracle, the mystical miracle of Skype, is one of our longest listeners, Allison of Allison and Brett number two fame. (laughs) Allison, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? We are we are very well and very happy to finally actually talk to someone who's been you've been you've been listening to the to this this terrible program <laughs> since almost the very beginning. Oh, the first episode. I remember it was in the summer. It must have been, you know, over a year ago. Yeah. Walking to the grocery store and going onto my iTunes and finding you guys and listening to your very first podcast. Oh, this is amazing. Well, yeah. it it might say something not so great about Allison that she stuck around <laughs> through the very beginning because those <laughs> yeah, weren't it, the show has really morphed into something that it it didn't really begin to, as. Yes. Well, it's it's been very charming and fun to listen to since the beginning. So I love all the episodes, even the first ones. <laughs> you are too 
too kind. Charming is such a great word to use. <laughs> so, so let me ask you, um, you know, briefly tell me how this 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 article, this Facebook post, the thing that we talked about, how it how it resonates with you. Sure. So, when you mentioned um, this article and the first step being don't talk to your daughter about her body. That made me think right away of my childhood and growing up with a mother who focused almost solely on my body and the way that I looked and what my weight was. And if it went up or if it went down, she always brought it up to me. And now to this day, at almost 27 years old, unfortunately, it's still a really big um, focus in my life, a very negative focus in my life. And I do think that Although I would not blame it just on my mom, I would say that she really um, fueled the fire, I guess, that has developed into serious body image issues and an eating disorder that I did get treatment for this year, fortunately. But um, I really don't think I would be as focused or as upset about my body image if it were not for my mom's focus on it as a child. So it sounds like she really had a, a profound impact. What were what were the specific things that like were they comments or what, what did she do specifically that kind of contributed to that? Sure. So she uh, herself was always and still is very focused on her body and maintaining a slim figure. Still, e um, even today. Oh, even today, she's 58. Um, and her, I'd say her hobby is researching nutrition and the perfect diet. And um, she doesn't really, uh, not really avoiding junk food, but limiting it. And it's a very restrictive mindset that she's always had. And I've never seen my mom gain weight. She's always been this like kind of pencil-like figure, tall and very slim. And if you don't look like her, then, you know, there's something wrong with that. So like uh, Brittany, when you just asked about, you know, were there specific comments, I just remember as young as I'd say elementary school, uh, her looking at me and saying, you know, that I didn't look good in something. And um, wow. as, an, as an adult, she, I remember one very like an instance that's burned into my memory. I came home from college one year and I brought my roommate home to meet my family. And I hadn't seen my parents. I went to school in Boston and I, you know, I live in, uh, lived in Pennsylvania. So I, it had been many months since I saw my mom. And the first thing she said to me was, you look heavy. Wow. After, yeah, after months and months. And she knew my roommate was there. She didn't say it in front of her, but she knew that she was there. So all I said was, why would, why would you say that to me? And she just told me, well, you know, you, you know, there's a problem, you know, she was like, you know, you're not denying it because you know, there's a problem here and you need to do something about it. So don't get upset at me for your problem. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I had a similar experience, actually, if I can share. Um, sure. When I was a teenager... Please do, because I'm... I I don't really have... Yeah. I don't know that this really affects a lot of a lot of men or boys, but... I'm sure it does, probably just to a lesser degree. Yeah, maybe yes. so. Um, but I remember I was probably like 14, I would say, and I, I was coming down the stairs of my house, and I overheard my brother and my mom having a conversation, and it was about how I looked heavier and how I had gained weight. And mm. I just like stopped on the stairs, and I, I just sat there thinking, what? 
what in the hell are they talking about? Because my whole life I had been identified as like being very, very thin. And I was just this very thin person. And then I overheard my family talking about how I looked like I had gained weight. And I'm just like, what? And I walked down the stairs and like called them out on it. I'm like, what the hell are you guys talking about? Like what's yeah. what's going on here? What do you mean I've gained weight? And it's weird because they act like they're having a conversation about how it's unhealthy, but you're you're not unhealthy, you know. So no. why is it even a topic of conversation? That's exactly it. I mean, I just I think that weight fluctuates, of course, especially as you're growing up. And the last person that should be commenting on that is well, your entire family, but for, I think for, for girls, especially their mothers, it's just such like, um, it's, it's an awful, like traumatic thing. And my mom does still, still to this day, she doesn't understand why or how she affected me so negatively. And she'll still say it's my fault for taking things too personally. In some ways I would get, and maybe this is just me taking it the extra the extra the extra step that it doesn't need to be taken but it seems to me to be kind of a betrayal yes oh it absolutely i i don't trust her i don't feel safe with her um i know that whenever i do see her the first thing she'll do is look me up and down from head to toe and i know the thoughts that are spinning in her mind um which is you know awful I do have to give her a little bit of credit. Um, once I my my weight got so low for so long that even she realized it was very unhealthy. So she and my father um, repeatedly asked me, um, especially during graduate school when I was living with them, to seek treatment because you know they just knew that what I was doing to myself was unhealthy. And, and um, even then, she she still then and and now doesn't make a connection between her early behavior with you and and what it ultimately led to? Nope, not at all. And if I were ever to say that to her, she would be furious hmm. and she would put me down and say, you know, that's an awful thing to say. And she just does not understand for whatever reason. She doesn't make the connection. I don't know if she's in denial um, she has eating issues of her own, so perhaps it's a little bit of that. But, um, yeah, I, I really don't understand. But I do have to give her credit because when I did seek treatment this year, she was very supportive of that. And I have seen her since um, I've gained some weight back. And she told me that I was looking healthy or happy. And um, she seemed very careful with what she was saying, Um it, when you have an eating disorder, it seems silly, but when someone tells you that you look healthy, that's actually one of the biggest insults that you could hear. And that sounds like completely counterintuitive to a person without an eating disorder. But I had to tell her ahead of time, you know, please, can you make a comment about, you know, my mood or, you know, how I'm living my life and not about my, the way that I look when you see me? So she did say, you know, you're looking so happy. I'm really happy for you, which I appreciate. But, um, Recently, she's told me, you know, you got treatment, you know, why aren't you better yet? What What's going on? It's been so long. Like, why aren't you over it? Goddamn. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like mental illness is something you just get over. Yeah, that's very upsetting. It's upsetting yeah. for me to hear even. Yeah, yeah. It's... It's sad, and I I always thought growing up that everyone's mom was like this because I didn't know any better. And once I started asking my friends you know, in college, 
if, if their mom said this kind of thing to them, they were appalled when I told them that my mom had ever commented on my weight at all. And that was just amazing to me. That was such a revelation to hear that, you know, not everyone's mom talks about their body to them, even in a positive way Mm -hmm. to most people, you know, their parents don't ever discuss the way their body looks. And I'm very envious of people who have that in their life because even though my mom now knows better than to say anything to me at this point, I still know that those thoughts are in her head whenever we do see each other. So something I want to know about is you said you you just went to treatment. What has been most helpful in kind of countering this this body image, you know, influence that you've had? What what have you found that has been most helpful in kind of helping you navigate that territory of not being influenced by these negative body images? So, yeah, that's a great question. It's It's been several things, including, you know, I see a nutritionist, I see a therapist, a doctor, and they're, they're really great because they enforce positive messages and healthy messages. Um, but I would honestly say that um, the most important thing in my life has been Brett, my husband, Brett number two. And um, from, from the beginning, he's always supported me. Um, you know, he's always told me he doesn't care. To him, you know, he married me for who I am, not what I look like. And, you know, he always tells me that he thinks I'm beautiful no matter what I look like. And he will always say that he loves the way my body looks no matter what. And he has never, ever once made me feel ashamed of my body, even when I'm feeling so, so negative about myself or if I'm feeling, you know, uncomfortable in my skin. He's just so, so supportive. And, you know, I know not all all men are like that. And you know, so I've, you know, even my little sister has told me of, you know, guys that, that she is dated. She's a little younger, but still there are guys out there that will comment if you gain a little bit of weight. And I just know with him, I don't, I don't even have to worry about that. He cares about my health first and foremost. And, you know, that's really it. And it, without him, I truly don't believe I would be where I am today. A hundred percent. I truly, truly believe that. Good for him. That's awesome. Yes. I was yes. I was not getting teary hearing you talk about that. <laughs> oh, just oh. FYI. <laughs> what about the societal influences? Because you know yeah. we we hear often about commercials, advertisements, women's magazines. All these things are really influential on body image. How have you kind of navigated that territory? Sure. So a lot of people think that, um, and you know, I think this kind of make it like minimalizes eating disorders. But I think a lot of people believe that the media and, you know, showing thin models on TV is what causes eating disorders. And that's just not the case. It's it's just not the case at all. However, it does not help um, somebody who has an eating disorder. So what I really have to do is avoid a lot of social media, um, avoid, I don't subscribe to any magazines anymore, except for, you know, news magazines. I actually don't even check my Facebook feed. I haven't since the summer because so many people are on Facebook talking about how much they run or how fast their marathon time was. And even people showing, you know, shirtless pictures of themselves after a 21 day crash diet and look how much smaller my stomach is. And it's just so ingrained in our society now that people just applaud those who who lose weight, whether it's in a healthy way or not. And if you, you know, 
inundate yourself with those messages too much, it can be really detrimental to recovery from an eating disorder. So I've really found that avoiding those, you know, really social media in general has really helped. And I can focus more on just being healthy and how that is so beneficial to my life because it's so easy to get hundreds of people on Facebook who are losing weight and bragging about it. Well, let's, I'm, I'm going to wrap it up, but let me, let me ask you, if you, and I'm putting you on the spot here, if you had any advice for new mothers out there or old mothers out there, what would it be? So I would say uh, to new or any mother out there to never, ever make a comment about your daughter's body, whether it be positive or negative, because that shouldn't even matter. I would say to mothers out there to talk about, you know, something that you're very proud of that your daughter did, um, her education or her career or personal life, um, just take body out of the equation all together um, and give her a compliment based on who she is rather than what she looks like. I think that's really powerful advice. And hopefully we start moving in that direction. And I think that we will when people are brave like you to share their own experiences and their own story of, of having these body image struggles and overcoming them. I really, really hope so. It's kind of a taboo subject. Nobody's quick to talk about the negative effects of um, our focus on body image because people do just focus on how good it is to lose weight and to get in shape. So to hear kind of the other side, I think is so important. And I really hope it is, like you said, something that we continue to move toward and that's talked about more and more. Awesome. We really appreciate both your listenership and your inaugural appearance on I Doubt It with Dollamore. That is awesome. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I hope this is not my last time on the show. Of course it won't be. This is this has been really good. Um, I I want to say thank you for being honest. And I mean, this is we're delving deep into your personal life. These are mm -hmm. these are intrinsically tied to who you are. And it, I think it took some bravery. And I appreciate the fact that you you shared with us. And by extension, you know our 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 worldwide audience. Um, it, it means a lot. Oh, I'm I'm really glad that I could, you know, call in and give my feedback and hopefully, you know, maybe start a conversation that other people were a little bit too afraid or hesitant to have. So, you know, thank you guys so much for having me on. That is what we're all about. All right. Well, we will talk to you again. All right. Sounds good. Thank you guys so much. Well, that was awesome. Mm -hmm. She... Listen, we've had a lot of people on the show and some people who are very media savvy professors and people who, you know, are used to yeah, used talking. to interviews and mm -hmm. stuff. Let me tell you something. She's real good. Yeah, she was awesome. I was very impressed with not just how she carries herself and how she speaks, but just the the fluidity with which she handled the questions, which, you know, clearly weren't given in advance. I mean, it was real good. And aside from that, I think everything that she talked about was really important because, you know, there has been this like battle on social media that we've started to see where it used to be, 
you needed to be, you know, skinny to get attention. And now it's like this move toward you need to be like a fit person. It, right, right. it used to be like skinny is sexy, but now it's like skinny is not sexy, fits the new sexy. And it's like this constant debate over like what is attractive and what is sexy. And so I think this body image conversation is really important and hopefully it won't continue to be important well it's just weird <laughs> but it, we've talked about it before the it's not even the skinny or the fit it's all you know it's it's the other side of it men don't like to lay with bones everybody cuddle yeah. up the bones it's just fuck just be who you are no one stop worrying First of all, I think it does start with the individual. If you stop worrying about what everybody thinks about you, it'll it'll just it, start evaporating. Yeah, but as we saw with, I mean, the interview, it's hard when you have certain oh yeah for early sure. childhood experiences or yeah. you know the media. I mean, that's very difficult to do. So what it does start with is personal responsibility and how you are communicating things, and to other people, to your friends, to your kids to your nieces and nephews to whoever you're influencing it starts there and the way that you talk about bodies and the way that you interact with people about their appearance not even about appearance um you know we opened the show talking about something about my mother and it, it kind of makes me think because i didn't get body shamed or you need to lose weight or you're too thin or you're too heavy none of that mm -hmm. but i remember a couple of different times things that were said to me that really stuck with me. And mm -hmm. one was I had these little, I say little because I was little, but they were green ocean Pacific corduroy shorts. Oh, cute. <laughs> well, I was told by my mom, you look, you look gay and green. You look so gay and green. Ugh. And that always stuck with me. Well, one, I never understood. What the fuck does that even mean? Yeah. I look gay and green. That's just a weird thing. Yeah. But it stuck with me for a long time. Yeah. And then the other thing is I was told by my mom that I'm ugly when I cry. Mm-hmm. Isn't everyone ugly when they you cry? You look so ugly when you cry. And I've always had a complex about that. For one, because I'm a, I'm a fucking crier. I cry a lot. So who looks good when they cry, though? I want to know. Like, have you ever seen someone crying and you're like, wow, they are attractive. <laughs> They're looking real good right now. Yeah, I if guess they could so. be crying always, that would be ideal. Right. No, no one feels that way. Hey, sweetie, could you start crying a little bit? <laughs> yeah, that'll really get me going. <laughs> That's a weird fetish. <laughs> <laughs> it probably is. But if I also could say, I think you look good in green as well. But. See, when we talked about this, that men are influenced in ways as well. And when I was talking to someone about doing this interview and I kind of explained to them the situation, they they made the comment that um, it's going to be more mom shaming. Right. And I really there's this kind of this movement of like in psychology where there's too much mom shaming that occurs, where they talk about how early childhood influences with your mom accounts for too much of what happens to you as an adult. Hmm. Like that's kind of a fallacious argument to make tracing it back to the mom, but there are legitimate concerns in, ter well, in terms of what moms do and how they can influence children. And especially in my case, there's many things that I experienced with my mom that, that were problematic and that have influenced me in a very negative way. And when those are legitimate, those are legitimate things right, to talk sure. about. But however, for my particular situation, I didn't grow up with a dad. So mm -hmm. 
I mean, it was later on that, you know, she ended up settling down with, with a stepfather for mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. But so the interactions I had in my formative years were with a mother. Mm-hmm. They weren't with a father. Mm-hmm. So... But I really appreciated Allison being so open. And I know these things are really hard to talk about, especially like with me. There's many things I'll say on the show and then say, hey, cut that out because I actually don't want to be as open as I was. Yeah, yeah. And so it's really brave of people to be open about their experiences and knowing that it's going to be shared with a wider audience. So I really appreciate her doing that. And I just want to apologize to her for torturing her all this time with all of our episodes (laughs) since day one. I feel bad. March 11th, I believe it was 2014. That is a lot of Jesse D. That that's more Jesse D than I than I want to have to deal with. And yeah. I have to I'm stuck with myself. Yeah. So we're thankful <laughs> we're thankful for her and Brett number two that they have been such loyal listeners from day one. That's really that's really impressive and, and awesome. And Patreon supporters. Yes. Yeah, almost immediately they were Patreon supporters. So mm-hmm. we, we love and appreciate them very much. It is awesome to hear from them her specifically. And uh, we appreciate them very much. All right, well, let's move on. We got a little listener. We got an email from a a new, not Patreon supporter, but PayPal supporter, Liz. And it's in reference to, I guess it was the the content was sparked by a conversation we've been having throughout talking about Pew 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 Pew. The Pew Research Center's religious landscape. And I've, I'm always very perplexed by people who are participants in organized religion who don't believe in God, whether it be you know Jews, because I know a lot of Jews who are atheists and actually are active in their faith. And Liz wrote in with some of that at, uh, at, the, at the forefront. Hi, Jesse and Brittany. I just finished listening to episode 169 and thought I would help carry the conversation forward as it pertains to religious affiliation, religious affiliation and atheism. I happen to be in the small minority of atheists with one of those. I'm not sure why others have religious affiliations, but here's why I do. The short version. I was an evangelical from birth. I'm 47 now. When I began deconverting, I didn't realize it was happening. The entire process took about six years, but the catalyst for my journey was the constant judgment I observed from most Christians in my circle, especially as it pertained to the LGBT community. So I asked myself the question, if I hadn't been raised in this particular denomination, is this the one I would choose to follow? Do I agree with their particular views? The answer was hell no. So I did my due diligence and found myself a year later in the Episcopal Church. Fortunately, my curious mind wouldn't stop searching. And in 2014, I finally said the words to myself, I am an atheist. Hmm. Good for you. You all, it was the best and worst feeling. I'm sure I don't need to explain the best part because perhaps you've experienced it yourselves. The worst part came not long after. You see, I am married with two teenage daughters who I've dragged to church Sunday school. (laughs) Awana? Uh, I don't know. Probably some Christian women's group, maybe. I don't know. And VBS, Vacation Bible School, for the better part of their lives. And I'd taken the atheistic part of my journey alone. Not even my husband knew. Lucky for me, my oldest, who is now 18, told me she's always thought it was all bullshit. (laughs) 
even when she was a little kid. Wow. Why, awesome, by the way. Why do you think I cried when you made me go to Sunday school? My youngest, however, has bought it hook, line, and sinker. This is where I find myself today, which takes me back to the Episcopal Church. Toward the end of my deconversion, but while I was still a believer, my gay friend Kenny was coming from out of town to visit and wanted to go to a gay-affirming church. So he went to this website called gaychurch.com. Who knew? <laughs> and asked me to scope this particular one out before he came down. I, that could very well be a porn site, as far as I <laughs> would would venture a guess. But yeah. let's, let's assume that it absolutely is a church website. So I dragged my family <laughs> to the ultra cool part of the city to this amazing church for a visit, and we've been going ever since. So to make a long story short... So here, she goes to gaychurch.com. The, whatever church she found from gaychurch.com. Wow, that's Which awesome. was the Episcopal Church. Yeah. So to make a long story short, here's why I'm an Episcopalian atheist. I told the priest of my doubts, and he didn't bat an eyelash at me. He didn't throw holy water on me. He didn't pray over me. (laughs) Going to a church where questioning is not taboo and is even encouraged gives me the time and opportunity to start deprogramming the damage I've accidentally done by indoctrinating my youngest daughter. I question everything to do with religious topics in front of her and her friends and encourage them all to think. Switching denominations was a big stress on my relationship with my mother. Having a church that I can stand to go to for now is giving our relationship time to, quote, take a breather. I don't know if I'll ever tell my parents of my deconversion. I honestly don't want to ruin the winter of their lives, and this would destroy them. This one is going to sound sappy, and I hate sappy, but here goes. The priest is gay, half the congregants are gay or lesbian, and married. Did I mention that I live in Kentucky? (laughs) Some have gay or lesbian children. The rest are people like me and my family who are allies, and we're all very human rights centered. When you are around people that have been cast out, rejected, and beaten down by society, but they come together and are happy and loving and welcome you with open arms. Well, the first time I visited, I called it the presence of God because that's what it felt like. But now I know it was just love in its purest form. So I go because I love these people, and they are my friends. And they don't care that I don't believe. I'm looking forward to the day that I can live my life in black and white out in the open. But for now, I'm hiding out in the gray. Thanks for letting me ramble. I'm a pretty new listener and a brand new PayPal patron. Please tell the world there are some uber cool people in Kentucky, especially in the Louisville area. Louisville. We're not all Kim Davis over here. And remember, it's pronounced Louisville. (laughs) Say it like you're drunk on bourbon. Liz, P.S. Love the show. You know the rest. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. Well, that is awesome. It's very awesome. I know it was long, but I, I felt like I couldn't summarize any of it. I felt like I had to read it because um, a lot of it was very poetic, and I wanted to make sure the that... The winter of her parents' yeah, lives. Yeah, it was it's a very, awesome. it was a very yeah. beautifully written thing, and I, this is part of what I love hearing from the audience. This is amazing. We have... Listen, and this might be, I'm sure, every podcast. Like, we have the best audience. They're all fucking wrong. We have the best audience. Indeed. Intelligent, articulate, uh, just a, a beautiful spirit. I, I, like Liz, also, you know, the judgment of the LGBT community and the hatred toward gays and gay, the, gay, the gay agenda, mm-hmm. quote unquote, it was also very transformative for me that led me, you know, running for the fucking hills away from the Republican Party because I 
you know, if you search my name on Google for political contributions, you'll see I've given hundreds of dollars to Republican Party causes and not anymore. I'm not affiliated at all. I, in fact, I've so long not been affiliated that I don't even get emails from those assholes anymore. They know, oh yeah, that guy, he's, he's not one of us anymore. It's a lost cause. But you know what? Good for you, Liz. And I might not quite be able to wrap my brain around your affiliation with a Christian denomination, but that's okay because you are a beautiful person who is well intended. Good, mm-hmm. good for you. It's awesome. And thank you for being a PayPal patron. She did that by going to dollamore.com and on the left-hand side there, there's a big, fat, impossible-to-ignore PayPal button. And uh, we appreciate her support that way a lot. Yeah, we actually have never talked about that. And then we've gotten a few people coming in as PayPal contributors. Right, And right. so we're like, oh, I guess we should talk about that too. It's been used for a long time, but it's something I've always, you know, before we started the Patreon thing, I was very uncomfortable with how we would broach the subject of, of funding this little operation mm-hmm. and moving into maybe this being um, more of a full-time gig than it is, mm-hmm. where, you know, maybe multiple episodes a week, more than just two, mm-hmm. expanding into maybe video or something. I mean, we're, we have high hopes for what we're doing here, and it's through the support of the audience, and we're not going to belabor this, but... I say this right before we play the Patreon mid-roll <laughs> with the lovely British lady, but uh, we really do appreciate the financial support of our listeners, our loyal audience. It means the absolute world to us. So before you play that, I wanted to say one more thing, which is there's this thing called the religious congruence fallacy, and I had never heard of it before. Either have I. But it's it's come out, at least I, I've heard about it since the Pew Research findings. Because, oh, Conrad Hackett was talking about this. Right, because everyone is so confused by the fact that there are people who are atheists but involved in religion and there, there's these religious people who aren't really aligned with what their doctrine says sure. and, and so how does that work so what is the religious congruence fallacy it, it well, this, this paper that I have up from Duke University says the religious congruence fallacy occurs when interpretations or explanations unjustifiably presume religious congruence. And religious congruence refers to the consistency among an individual's religious beliefs and attitudes, consistency between religious ideas and behavior, and religious ideas, identities, or schemas that are chronologically salient and accessible to individuals <laughs> across contexts and situations. So basically, it just means... That it's kind of what we talked about, like with the Catholic kid that I knew, and he said that he didn't believe the Pope was the vicar of Christ. Right. So me being confused by that is apparently a religious congruence fallacy, hmm. because I'm assuming that someone's religious beliefs and attitudes should be consistent between what their religion has laid out for them. Yeah, it sounds kind of hippy dippy to me, but. <laughs> We'll just trust that it's a real thing. I don't fully buy that. So, Well, just so everybody knows, you learn something new, hopefully. All right. Support for I Doubt It with Dolomore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode as much or as little as you'd like, comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward one podcast 
at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dolomore. This is it. This is the week, hell week, if you will, on Tuesday the 10th, which happens to be the United States Marine Corps birthday, Brittany Page. Oh, yeah. Uh, we have the fourth Republican debate on Fox. I don't have a... We'll just go with the Fox News, even though it's on Fox Business Channel. Mm-hmm. And then on Saturday, so it's going to be Tuesday. I'm doing the Ds. Yep, tu- I hear it. <laughs> Tuesday, the 10th, we will do the Republican debate. It'll be posted on Wednesday. That next day, we will do a normal episode. And then on Saturday, Saturday, mm-hmm. we will do the Democrat debate, which will be posted on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then Sunday, we will wake up and do another episode. Holy shit. So It's a lot of podcasting. So these, yeah, it is. Speaking of wanting to maybe do this full time, um, these two debate episodes are going to be Patreon supporter only. And I have a new way because my, the aforementioned little brother who was beaten for calling his babysitter a hussy, (laughs) he has figured out that I can password protect the episode. So I will be sending through Patreon either individual emails or it will be listed on the Patreon page. And then I will send individual emails to our PayPal supporters as well how to go to the episode, type in the password that is pre-selected. And then you can listen to it there and also download it there to listen to later. Mm, so we have to start thinking of a real cool password. Oh, I've got a good one. Okay, good. Yeah. Dick cheese. Mm. <laughs> it's I, it's I, a joke. Okay. That's not going to be the All password. All right, good. Because I wouldn't give it out to everyone. <laughs> so if you want to take advantage of that and you want to hear our analysis for the debates... Patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. Seriously, $2 a month, 25 cents an episode is all it takes. Partner with us. It is a good, good time. Dollamocracy 2016. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So Donald Trump has released his very first radio campaign ad. And it's narrated by someone you probably would not expect. You have any guesses? Benedict Cumberbatch. No. Here's the ad. And be very, very surprised. I'm Donald Trump, and I'm running for president. (laughs) Our country is in deep trouble because, let's face it, politicians are all talk, no action. My opponents have no experience in creating jobs or making deals. The fact is, I'm going to make the greatest trade deals we've ever made in our country, and I'm going to bring jobs and money back to the United States. I'll take care of our veterans and make our military so strong that nobody will mess with us. I'll secure our borders, and yes, we will have a wall. You can't have a country without borders. And I'll make sure that the Second Amendment and our religious liberties are protected. Obamacare is a total disaster. It will be repealed and replaced with something much better. If the people of Iowa vote for me, you'll never be disappointed. I don't disappoint people. I produce. Together, we're going to make America great again. I'm Donald Trump, candidate for president, and I approve this message. Paid for by Donald J. Trump for president. 
He's Donald Trump, and he doesn't disappoint people. Well, let me be the first to maybe announce it to you, Donald Trump. You disappoint me every fucking time you open your orange face. Every time. This is... It feels really aggressive. A very bizarre campaign ad. Clearly, he's saving a lot of money by not paying people to write copy for him. Yeah. Because this is, although narrated, this isn't just taken from speeches. Is probably what they should have done. This is actually, he sat down before a mic, in front of a mic, in a studio perhaps, and... Are you sure? Because it sounds like he might have been like yelling into a phone. <laughs> Like after he got off a treadmill? Right. Maybe, maybe. But it sounded a little like he was having a bad time while he was recording it. Just bizarre. The whole, no one, our military, it's the same shit that he says over and over. Yeah. Our military will be so strong, tremendously strong, tremendously strong. No one will mess with us. Mess with us? Is that how we want our president to talk? No, <laughs> hey, you can't mess with us. You're, you're not a street top. This isn't the sharks and the jets. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then he says, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeal and replace Obamacare with something much better. <laughs> really? Is that your, that's your policy statement, Donald Trump? Yeah, Candidate great. for president of the United States? I can't wait for something better. It's going to be much better. <laughs> much better. And then the whole I don't disappoint people thing. It's just. He disappoints me listen, daily. The Republican Party has become the, the, the party of the, it's. It's the dicks that keep, I mean, uh, excuse me, the gifts that keep on giving. They are dicks, but it's the gifts that keep on giving this craziness. It's, I mean, the comedians, the late night hosts have to be just in hog heaven. Jimmy Kimmel this week put together a little package of the many noises of Donald Trump on the campaign trail. Donald Trump says, well, a lot of interesting things, but... Even more than his words are his sounds. He makes a lot of odd noises during his public speaking appearances. I guess to get his point across, we've been compiling these for a while now. And, uh, well, here they are, the many noises of Donald Trump. Ah, 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 Bing, 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 boom, boom, boom. Bing, bing, bang, bang, bing, bing, bing. You know what that is? Foreigners, so sometimes you have to improvise. Those are all taken from speeches. Now, I'm wondering what in the hell is every single one of those... What is going on in his speech when he's doing that? Uh, the bing bong, bing bing bing. I don't know. I mean the wah. Or even wah. like the moaning. What are oh, those? Oh yeah, I don't know. What, Who knows? What is going on during those moments? Maybe he's passing out from all of the cologne. Yeah, and what's the bing bing? Like, what do you think? What do you think he's talking about when he's going bing he, bing bing? He, he used to own casinos. That sounds like a slot machine. Who fucking knows? This guy's a, a weirdo. Anyway, this past weekend. He was on SNL, and Brittany and I watched a little bit of it and turned it off because it was terrible. We watched like 20 minutes of it. And listen, my, my prediction would be that ultimately this is going to hurt him. It's not, it's not a good look. Yeah, it was, it was uncomfortable to watch for me. Even there was a skit where they were in the, in the Oval Office and talking about him tweeting laws, tweeting new laws. 
And it was it was a skit about he had become president. He won the election. It was 2018. Right. And everyone was like, oh, everything is so great. And then they went into detail of like what was great. And then. Yeah, it was it was just bizarre. And I think that it's going to maybe dislodge something in supporters minds that, yeah, Jesus, that actually does kind of sound like a Trump presidency. And we don't want it to be a joke. So maybe his support will start to wane and, and erode even more than it has of late. So th- that is my prediction anyway. We will, we will, see, we will see what happened. Um, we, did, we didn't cover this in follow-up, but Carly Fiorina, after the kerfuffle that happened relative to The View and people saying, or the, the, the hosts of The View saying she looked demented. Mm-hmm, that her face looked demented. That in her smile during the last debate. She was back on The View, as promised, on Friday, and they completely, completely pussed out. They did not address, they said, well, so you had a problem with something was said, Uh, what do you have to say about that? And then she went on and gave a very gracious, kind of generic statement, and then they moved right into questions about what she wants for America and completely avoided whether it be a an apology or any any talking about the issue at all. Mm-hmm. It was cowardice, in my humble opinion. Mm-hmm. Do you not have an opinion? You're over there silently. Well, it was just extremely boring, and then it got, you yes. know, they started arguing and talking. It was just, the view is, I don't know, I can't watch that show. <laughs> it's not good. I have a hard time. All right, well, let's get on to the piece de resistance. Of, of this this week's political happenings, it's Ben Carson is apparently either a just a dirty, filthy liar or a compulsive stretcher of the truth. Yeah, there's been at least three instances just yeah. in the past couple of days of things coming out. So the first big one was Politico kind of fudging things a little bit. They, up, they're getting a little aggressive. They they kind of Jesse Dollamored their coverage right. and their reporting, which, you know, they don't have a Britney Page to reel them in when they're going a little crazy. I'm sure they do. <laughs> I'm positive they do, actually. Okay, so they reported that Ben Carson admitted fabricating that he had received a full scholarship to West Point Military Academy. Right, which is the Army's... Service school. You've got the Naval Academy. You've got the Army Academy. That's West Point. Air Force Academy. You know, Coast Guard Academy. Right. <laughs> so. Wow. Wow. That is yeah. awesome. Okay. Mm, okay. So Politico reported that he admitted lying about this. Which he did not. Which he did not. So that was a problem. And Politico kind of spurred all this. I mean, after they they reported on that. The Daily Beast ran with it. I mean, several outlets kind of ran with it. And they've since been called out by the Washington Post. But they're on the right track with this. It's not that it's not completely unfounded. Mm-hmm. He did say that he was offered a scholarship. Well, now he's saying that he was under the impression that he was offered a scholarship. And so that's why he was saying that he was offered a scholarship. <laughs> 
Here's here's how it works with military academies, though. You have to apply, and now, the way I understand it, is you have to get a letter of recommendation from either a congressman or a senator, and they only have so many letters of recommendation they can they can people that they can recommend, let's say. And then the school, once you apply, will accept you to the program, to the school, which is free, because then there's an obligation to serve as an officer in the military for a certain amount of time. Well, he never applied, so there wasn't any scholarship offered, ever. That's not how it works. So the next lie that he told, he um, published an account of having dinner with a top commander in the Vietnam War after marching in a Memorial Day parade in 1969 as a high school ROTC cadet in Detroit. Goddamn. But this does not match historical records. So... Go ahead. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm ch- champing at the bit here. So in Carson's 1990 best-selling autobiography, Gifted Hands, <laughs> The Ben Carson Story, the neurosurgeon tells of being offered a scholarship to West Point as a high school senior sometime after having dinner with the U.S. Army's chief of staff, <laughs> General William Westmoreland, on Memorial Day 1969. But... Westmoreland's personal schedule shows the general was not in Detroit on Memorial Day or during the days preceding and following the holiday. Right. His schedule says he was in and around Washington, D.C. that weekend, according to Army Archives, the Detroit News reviewed on Friday. So it is just, uh, it is appalling that Ben Carson is claiming that as a high school student, he had dinner with William Childs Westmoreland, who was... He commanded the U.S. forces during the Vietnam War between 1964 and 1968. What would a high school student be in any position whatsoever, any high school student, to have dinner with four-star general, chief of staff of the United States Army? Under what circumstance would that be? And then Westmoreland's just out of hand going to say, yeah, listen, I'm offering you a scholarship. Like he's some kind of a fucking football coach recruiting a high school student to play ball. It's That's not the way it works. And then to find out that he's outright lying because the United States archives, mm-hmm. the Army archives... They could be wrong. They Yeah, right. I'm sure if the military does anything, it's keeping meticulous records. Yeah. And he wasn't there. It's easily verifiable... You fucking liar. Okay, so I know that you're having a conniption fit, but do you uh, want me to say the third lie? Are you talking about the Yale thing? Yes. Okay, I do want you to talk about the Yale thing, but because I don't have it written on the rundown board, do not forget to talk about his house. Okay. <laughs> so this is the third. I posted the link of his house on the Facebook already. Oh, good, good. Okay, so this is the third live that's come out just this week within the pa- the second half of the week. And-, and people are going through his autobiography. You are going to see more come out. Oh, yeah. So this is also from his 1990 autobiography. Again, it's called Gifted Hands, the Ben Carson story. <laughs> well, let's listen. I don't want to pile on when there's no need to pile on. Typically, the author doesn't pick the title of their book. It's the publisher and the editor they they pick they choose the title. It's not it's not incumbent upon the author to pick their title. I, I just want to be fair. I know, I know, but it's still funny because it just fits along with the pictures in his house. Yeah, the braggadocious it's, bullshit. It's, right. It's 
All right, so let's he is get, gifted, but come on now. Let's get on to this third lie, which I think is the most just it's it's a big f you to anyone reading the book because it's I'm just going to tell you outright lies. Anyone else who did this, like James Fry with a million little pieces, would be completely fucking discredited. But because he's Ben Carson and he has this blindly loyal, crazy following, no one says anything. Carson described a Yale psychology professor who told students that all of their final exam papers had accidentally caught on fire and that they must all retake the new, much harder exam. According to Carson, a junior at the time of the story, all 150 students refused but one. That one was the chosen one, the honest one, a young Ben Carson. (laughs) Quote, quote, this is an excerpt. I'm I'm so excited to hear it again. The professor came toward me. With her was a photographer for the Yale Daily News who paused and snapped my picture. A hoax, the teacher said. We wanted to see who was the most honest student in the class. The class, according to Carson, was called Perceptions 301. The Yale Library confirmed to Wall Street Journal that no such class existed during Carson's tenure at Yale. And the photo that Carson claims was taken of the incident cannot be found. Lies, filthy lies that he wrote in his book. But he's the most honest one. Right. And he is getting, listen, he's getting pissed. Here's a clip from him being grilled by reporters. This is specifically being grilled about his scholarship issue. And we've already kind of hashed this out. So you'll hear the inconsistencies and you'll know a little background on it. But he's not an honest man. Also, I would li- I would like to point out that he's he's not acting as though he's an honest man. If if the truth will stand on its own and the truth will win out, why is he so goddamn defensive? Why is he losing his mind and being so defensive? I never said I received the full scholarship. I never Wait a minute. Don't don't lie. I never said that I received the full scholarship. Nowhere did I say that. Politico, as you know, told a bold-faced lie. They've been called out on that by the Washington Post and by the New York Times, and I'm sure there'll be several others who will call them out on that because there are actually some people with integrity in your business. You just said, you just told me that you got a scholarship offer. You just said that. No, she said that I got a scholarship. I never said I got a scholarship. So I had people. I had people who said yes that I could get a scholarship to West Point, and I told them that I wasn't interested, that I was going to pursue medicine. So I'm stopping the clip there, but so he's he's splitting hairs now. Now it's an argument of semantics. No, I never said I got a full scholarship. Mm-hmm. I said it was offered a scholarship. Right. Both are bullshit. Moving on. I do not remember this level of scrutiny for one President Barack Obama when he was running. In fact, I remember just the opposite. I remember people just, oh, well, we won't really talk about that. We won't talk about that relationship. Well, Frank Marshall Davis, well, we don't want to talk about that. Uh, Bernadine Dorn, Bill Ayers, well, you know, he didn't really know him. You know, all the things that Jeremiah Wright was saying, oh, not a big problem goes to Occidental College, doesn't do all that well, and somehow ends up at Columbia University. Well, I don't know. 
his records are sealed. Why is his records sealed? Why are you guys not interested in why his records are sealed? Why are you not interested in that? Let me ask that. Can somebody tell me why? Why please? I'm asking you why they're why it's sealed. So I'll stop it there. We've only got another minute or so left. Go ahead. I, I want to say something really quick, though. What he's talking about in terms of the Obama scrutiny with Bill Ayers specifically, I just saw an interview like a year ago on Fox News where Bill Ayers, am I saying his name right? That's right, Bill he, Ayers. He was on Fox News. A terrible domestic terrorist, but yes. He was being interviewed, and they were again, just it was like a year ago, they were addressing the connection that again, he had right. to Barack Obama a year ago on Fox yeah, News. Well, Obama didn't get a pass on these relationships. No. He certainly didn't get a pass on this Jeremiah Wright situation. Absolutely his, not. His pastor in in in, in, uh, in Chicago. It's it's ludicrous. But here's here's my point, is that he's, rather than answering the questions that are posed to him, He's deflecting. Well, what about Obama? Well, what do you mean? What about my scholarship? And what about me, my my quote unquote attempted murder of my friend when the knife hit the belt buckle? What about Obama? What about that? Mm-hmm. You know, just answer the questions. We're not talking about Obama. Obama's not running for president. Be accountable for the things that you've said. Be a grown up. But, but no, 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 don't, I don't change it. I'm asking you, will someone, will someone tell me, please, why you have not investigated that? I want to know. Why are you raising it? Why? Because I want to know. You should want to know, too. The president, wait a minute. Hold on one minute. One second here. Now, you're saying that something that happened with the words a scholarship was offered is a big deal, but... The, President of the United States, his academic records being sealed is not. Tell me, wait a minute. Tell me how. Tell me how there. Tell me how there's equivalency there. It doesn't matter where it is. Tell me how. That is a silly argument. Tell, tell me how there's equivalence there. Tell me how there is equivalence there. Tell me somebody, please, because you see, what you're not going to find with me is somebody who's just going to sit back and let you be completely unfair without letting the American people know what's going on. And the American people are waking up to your games. Unfair. They're treating him unfair. Yeah, there it is again. You've written things, and we want to verify and check through journalistic sources the veracity of the truths that you've told in many books and that is unfair. How dare you fact check the wild things that I've said and written in my books? How fucking dare you? I don't think I've ever heard conservatives talk so much about fairness as they have lately. Right, right, right. No kidding. It's a huge concern. Obama faced accusations and allegations that he was not even born in this country for years. And that's fair. But asking, did you really try to kill a guy? For changing the radio station? Oh my God, how dare you? How dare you ask that question? What about Obama's transcripts from college? <laughs> and listen, I'm not even saying that, yeah, I, I would like to know about Obama's transcripts. Why are they sealed? But we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about you and your candidacy for the pr- most powerful position on the goddamn planet. Well, Related to the whole belt buckle stabbing, his crazy youth where he was smashing people in the head with 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 padlocks and stabbing them and 
just his oh, I was a th- I was a street tough, and oh, I was on the path to prison and violence. They've interviewed he, CNN sent someone out, and they interviewed classmates of his, and they're all kind of bewildered by this version that's being put out there of Ben Carson. CNN set out to find the classmates who Carson says were victims of the attacks, but so far has been unable to locate any of them. The Carson campaign declined to provide names of those involved or eyewitnesses, calling CNN's examination into Carson's past a witch hunt. CNN interviewed nine of Carson's friends, neighbors, and classmates, and all say the violent, impulsive person Carson has described himself as is unrecognizable to them. A tenth person said he might have heard a rumor about the knife attack at the time, but couldn't be sure. All of those interviewed recalled Carson as quiet, bookish, and nerdy, a kid who wore thick glasses and a pocket protector for his pens. He was just smart, a bookworm. With us, he was always calm, easy, a lot of fun, uh, always. Siblings Steve and Marie Choice grew up next door to the Carsons. I was I was really surprised when I read he tried to stab someone. Like what? You know. You never saw like the police over here or no, anything. No, no, no. Does it fit with the guy who you knew? That I mean, that kind of activity. No. Yeah, I was shocked. I was surprised because he was just you know he was quiet and calm. But, but you never exi- You never saw any sort of violence no, or anger. No, or... I did not. No, I yeah. did not. Okay. Very nice young man. I did not witness those things. I don't have really any independent knowledge of those things. Tim McDaniel is a former classmate and lifelong friend of Carson's. He says the behavior Carson describes on the stump is totally out of character with the academically driven young man he knew growing up. As long as I had known Ben, I associated him with a lot of things, but never stooping to the level of a common street thug. So I was a little surprised by it. Still, Uh, McDaniel says he Uh, believes his old friend and said Carson may have kept those incidents secret all those years out of embarrassment. I think he tried to hide it for as long as he could until he realized that in order to really, really clear his conscience, that he had to make a confession. He said them honestly, and I believed everything he told me. While all of the friends and classmates interviewed by CNN are perplexed by the stories of violence Mr. Carson describes, most of them still expressed admiration for him. So that's interesting. I know it's it's anecdotal, right, to interview people that just can... Yeah, but listen, you can't dismiss anecdotal out of hand. It's still, it's important because these are people who knew him. Only, only a couple of years or so after he claimed he was this violent crazed maniac with a knife yeah i mean i think that there's still a possibility that he could have been different depending on who he was interacting with right so maybe it was like certain crowds that he was this character in yeah but i mean it's, it's pretty unanimously understood by everyone who's been interviewed that he was th- these are the words i wrote down quiet bookworm calm Nice young man, a guy who wore a pocket protector. He wasn't. And what do you hear about kids who shoot up schools? Do I hear calm? Quiet. Yes, you hear all those things. Quiet's one thing, but he, he was understood as a nice young man. That's what they always say about those kids who shoot up schools. I'm just saying that it's. Uh, Yeah, I, I. 
I guess, yeah. It's I mean, just, you're, you're right. That is true. It's just difficult, I think, to to talk to people and then be like, well, I heard this person said this. Because I'm sure you yeah, could go he's, back he's into not, my past and interview people. And He's painting himself as a kid who was a fighter and carried a knife to stab, attempted murder in the front seat of a car because someone changed the radio station. Right. And he was punching kids in the head with locks, with metal objects in his hands to really, to, 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 to inflict mayhem. Right. And I mean, I'm just, I'm playing devil's advocate here. I know, but, I know. But I'm sure, you know, it, this might be the same for you, but probably not because you went to a smaller high school. But, but for me, if you were to go back and interview people that knew me like in high school, you, you would talk to some people who would say, yeah, Brittany was really troubled. She had a terrible home life and there were cops at her house, you know, all sure. that kind of stuff. Then you would talk to some people who were like, yeah, every time I interacted with her, she seemed, you know, like a nice person came from a, you know, whatever. I didn't really know a lot about her personal history, you know, so there there would be a lot of variant varying accounts. Sure. What I'm saying is he's claiming that he went from this violent on the path to prison type of character, Jesus uh, redeemed him, and immediately his 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 the transformation was from violent street tough to calm, studious, dedicated toward his future, mm-hmm. and that's from all the interviews we're hearing. That's just not the case. No one knew the old version. They can't find anyone. And furthermore, and I didn't pull this audio, he will not provide access to the actual individuals who were involved in these incidents. See, that's what I think is most problematic about it, because I think it's one thing to have the media be talking to these people and these people can't verify the accounts. I think it's another thing for him to say, well, I'm not going to provide you access to people who could vouch for what I'm saying. I mean, the media is interested in well, that. He, what would it like, hurt to offer that? He's acting like he's protecting them. Right. He's like saying, they're going to be harmed by CNN. Like Anderson Cooper's going to just fuck up their whole world. Just turn it upside down. Right. And probably the reviewer who talked about how contentious we are is really unhappy right now. But um, <laughs> but for instance, with the stabbing situation, wow. he said that he changed the name. And that, you know, he doesn't want to give up the identity of this person. If that person wants to come forward and talk about it, now that's their choice. Right. <laughs> Although the account between different books that he's written is completely different. Well, it's also, well, how convenient that if, if this person wants to come forward and talk, well, then that's their choice. It's up to them. Right. right. How convenient. Yeah, this invisible, possibly non-existent person. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, it's it's up for the audience to make up their own mind, but I I would hope that they would be smart and take my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm not one to defend Vin Carson, but I'm just really. It seems like you spent a lot of time today no, defending. I'm just offering, the noble Vin Carson. I'm just offering another point of view. <laughs> of I think we all know that you're just playing devil's advocate. We, you, listen, we want to be fair. We we do want to be. 
moving the conversation forward is about honesty. And we don't want to just railroad this guy, even though I think he's a nutter. Well, you never know what these turds that they were interviewing, like what's in it for them. You know what I mean? You never know what people's intentions are. And I just think it's kind of take what they said with a grain of salt. They're probably saying what's accurate. As you should take what Ben Carson says. With lots of lots of grains. With a couple of grains of salt. Anyway, let's move on. I, I want... I want to address very quickly this guy's house. Yes. What in the fiddle and fuck is going on inside Ben Carson's house? There are crazy things. It is the the, the who who wrote it? The Guardian or the Guardian? Yeah. The, the Guardian wrote this entire article about his house and the things that are inside of it. That's kind of a memorial to him or something. They call it Ben Carson's house, an homage to himself. Well, and that's that might be true, but I listen, if you're an accomplished person, let's say you have a bunch of Oscars, you have a trophy room, whether it be your office or your basement or whatever, and that's okay. And that's some of the pictures that they showed were him with presidents and him having his presidential medal of freedom or his congressional medal of freedom or whatever it is. And I, I will allow him that without too much making fun of. However, there are portraits of him. There is a portrait of him prominently displayed in the living area of his home of him with black Jesus. Well, there's okay. So there's a painting of him that hangs over the fireplace in the main lounge area. Just it's only him. It's a painting of him. Only him. A big painting. Yes. Yeah. And then this is displayed in a hallway. It's a painting of Carson with Jesus. Now I've already posted this on the Facebook page. So if you go, you can see this. It is Ben Carson with Jesus behind him. They are in the same portrait. Jesus has his hand on his shoulder. It (laughs) is Ben Carson and Jesus together. That is a beautiful endorsement. Jesus took the time to sit for a portrait with Ben Carson. Okay, here's a really great photo as well. Here's another one. This is Proverbs 22.4. Oh, this is, this is my favorite. It's engraved in the wall. It says, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. And Proverbs is actually Poverbs. <laughs> it's spelled wrong. The book of the Bible, Proverbs, is spelled incorrectly. And it's not just like on a piece of paper that was printed. It's like chiseled into the wall. It's like chiseled into stone. Yeah. It's like getting a tattoo with the wrong your or the wrong there on your body. Also, there's a lot of gold in here. I oh, mean, yeah. the the proverbs verse is <laughs> is in gold. The, the proverbs verse. The painting with Jesus that it has it's in a gold frame. The painting of just him in the main lounge area has a gold frame. Ugh. The pillars in his house have gold on the top of them. So yeah. so this article compares him to Donald Trump in this way. Wow, yeah, that, I, that's actually a great uh, a great comparison. And talked about how you you may be surprised to learn that maybe there are some of these narcissistic elements to Ben Carson. But yeah, here they are. Well, you would kind of have to be to have the power of life and death in your hands when you're separating conjoined tr- twins who are joined at the fucking brain. There, some kind of a god complex kind of has to seep in there somehow. You can't be a timid man and 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 perform those type of crazy operations. You know what I mean? So listen, he's a talented guy for sure, but. You know, enough with the gold already. 
mm-hmm. the portraits of you and Black Jesus. Mm-hmm. Come on. And the proverbs. Enough. All right, let's move on. Um, this week, I don't know about your audience. I don't know about your Facebook feed, your timeline, but mine was filled with lots of anger and angst and aggravation and discussion over a new Mormon church, a new Latter-day Saint church policy relative to not allowing the children of same-sex couples to be members. Children living in a same-sex household may not be blessed as babies or baptized until they are 18, the Mormon Church declared in a new policy. Once they reach 18, children may disavow the practice of same-sex cohabitation or marriage and stop living within the household and request to join the church. The policy changes, which also state that those in a same-sex marriage are to be considered apostates, set off confusion and turmoil among many Mormons after the policy was leaked online. The changes in the handbook for local church leaders for the LDS Church confirmed Thursday by church spokesman Eric Hawkins, quote, church handbooks are policy and procedure and procedural guides for lay leaders who must administer the church in many varied circumstances throughout the world. The church has long been on record as opposing same-sex marriages. While it respects the law of the land and acknowledges the rights of others to think and act differently, it does not perform or accept same-sex marriage within its membership. So, this has kind of erupted into a firestorm. We know, we personally know, many, many... LDS members, many Mormons, Mm -hmm. and you have had interaction on Facebook, censored as it may have been, Mm -hmm. um, with Mormons about this who are justifying this, and I'm, I don't really have, I'm not mixed about it. You're not mixed about it. What does that mean? Oh, I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't, I think the Mormon church is terrible, And it believes horrible things. It is at its core a racist, bigoted organization, even more so than normal Christianity. And this to me is a positive thing because it's just going to drive a wedge between people and this insidious faith. So on the other side of the token. (laughs) (laughs) There was a pause there. That was very, it was a pregnant pause. Mm -hmm. So on the other side, I see that point of view. I see, I see that this is beneficial in that it is going to, you know, millennials are leaving religion in droves. We talked about that last week with a few research and they are leaving it particularly because of the LGBT issue. We just read Liz's email. Um, You know, this is driving people away from religion. So this decision is going to contribute to more of that happening. On the other hand, this also contributes to more stigma against the LGBT community. I, I see that. I think that's true too, yeah. Where we see that, you know, the nation is moving forward, then we see this tremendous backstep because along with the church sending this decision, you then see a domino effect of individuals posting to their Facebook page Members the decision. supporting their church's decision. Exactly. And yeah. then you kind of see, wow you know, this became the law of the land and I saw all this great stuff on Facebook and it seemed like, you know, we were really getting going somewhere. And then all these posts start popping up from people supporting this decision. And you're kind of like, yeah, there are people that still are fighting against this. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't won yet. Right. No, but it's kind of like when you'd cut the head off of a chicken 
and it still runs around and thrashes around, it, it it's it's the death throes. Mm-hmm. It's their they're clinging on to life. They're clinging to their old beliefs because it's it's the end. It's the end of it. And that's the best way to describe it because I had a situation where someone posted a link about this and they are a member and they were in support of the decision and I commented on it and I was trying to engage them, them in a conversation and my comment was not rude. It wasn't derogatory. It wasn't you know, anything. It was just trying to engage this person in a conversation. And my comment was deleted almost immediately after posting. I was going to say immediately deleted. So I continued to write more comments, each of which got deleted. Each of which were screenshotted. Right. (laughs) And I will admit they, they got a little more mean as each comment went on because I, you know, I believe that this was cowardice to censor my speech. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just confused, I guess, by people who post controversial things onto social media. Well, we're going to do the responsible thing at Britney's behest, because I really want to drop this guy's name. I want to I want to mention who he is. And it's only because you are a gracious, wonderful person that we're not doing that to our global audience. Well, it's also because I don't think it matters, but he... Yeah, but it's... Listen, he, he censored you. He... It's lame. Well, maybe it's just my own personal fucking rage inducing thing. Yeah. (laughs) Not not a fan at all. But no, and when I say mean, I just mean that I I started to call the actions cowardice and... Him censoring you, cowardice. Right, deleting my comments, censoring my speech. And I guess I just don't understand that because I'm someone who I post things about religion and politics onto my social media. And if someone wants to engage me in conversation, even if they're hateful, they are free to do that. And I don't delete comments. Well, well, the truth will win out. When you post something that you believe is true, you welcome dissent. You welcome a conversation about it because you believe your point is, will stand up under the scrutiny of evidence and logic. Even more so when someone is being rude, right? And they're calling me stupid or something. I leave that I leave that up of because course. that's not going to make me look bad. That makes that person look bad, right. right? So I was just trying to engage this person in a conversation, and he has since censored himself. He deleted, deleted his the post. whole fucking post, right? Yeah. Because he's a coward. Well. Jesse Dollimore says he's a coward. I'm not going to, you know, you don't have to. I know you're sensitive and you are, you are. You are the person who is metered and, you know, far more reasonable than me. I'm pissed off. It makes me mad when people do that. Well, listen, there's... Real mad. <laughs> I know that it's odd to, you know, like to engage in these conversations, but I do. And I think that if you're posting about these things, that means that you do too. And so I just get confused when someone wants to shut down the conversation because, and, and post something that is on its face controversial. Right, because is the point of posting that then to just have everyone agree with you and be like, yeah, screw them. You're right. right. You're so right, man. Right. You're awesome, dude. Like, is that what <laughs> is that what you want? Because how is that helpful? Right. No, I know. I know. I don't know. It's just something that frustrates me, I guess. It makes me real frustrated. I mean, it frustrates me less than it does you. But God damn. It fucking <laughs> ma- drives me crazy. Crazy, everybody. Anyway, we will move on from that. Oh, 
So we have this clip and everyone has been kind of posting this as a way to say, well, listen, you don't understand the context in which this decision came about. So listen to this video and you'll understand the context of the decision and then you'll feel better about it. Okay, well, let's listen. Well, here, here's the let me let me give a little background here. This isn't an interview between like a person of the media and this elder Christopherson. Uh, and this elder Christopherson, this is. One church member, one church elder, one higher up in the church, interviewing another higher up in the church. So they're inside of this fucking vacuum of of an echo chamber, and they're jerking each other off, asking each other questions that they know the answers to. There's no tough questions being asked here. Okay, well, there's no dissent. One of them calls themselves an apostle. Yeah, the Christofferson guy. He's He's in a, listen, the Mormon church is, is le, it's led by a bunch of elderly white fucking men. Elderly white boring fucking men. I come listen, I know you want to cut in here. Hang on. I feel like you should drop the the thing because I just feel like we're going in a real bad direction no, here. No, no, we're this is going to be a long episode. Okay. Here's the deal. I come from a Pentecostal evangelical charismatic tradition. So I'm you know, when I think of a church guy or a pastor or a leader of a, a, of a denomination, I think of someone who is charismatic, who is entertaining even maybe. And it seems to be filled, this church, the Mormon church, filled with old, very boring, very dry men. Well, even just like, I don't know, gregarious. It's just like these people don't have personalities. So I had to watch this 10-minute video, and I was like, <laughs> I'm serious. You did. You took a bullet. I, you took one for the team. I'm like laying there like with my eyes closed, like, oh, this is like soothing to listen to. <laughs> I mean, it was so boring. If but, not for the content. But we cut out a couple of minutes so you don't have to be tortured by it as More well. More than a couple minutes. It is like a 10-minute video, and this is just a, just a minute and a half or two minutes. The situation with um, polygamous this families, is the apostle. for example, and same-sex marriage couples and families uh, really has a parallel. For generations, we've had these same kinds of policies that relate to children in polygamous families, that uh, we wouldn't go forward with these ordinances while they're in that circumstance and before they reach their majority. And uh, that's the same sort of situation we're dealing with here. So it's something we have uh, had a history with. It's a, it's a practice that really is analogous. It's been the case over many generations. There's also provision or requirement of, for a, a person who has reached the age of maturity, who maybe uh, wants to serve a mission in the church, but who's come from a, a same-sex marriage relationship for the family. Um, there's a, there's a requirement for them to disavow the, the, the idea of same-sex marriage. Not disavow their parents, but same-sex marriage. Correct. What was the thinking behind that? Well, again, this is a, a parallel with uh, polygamy. Anyone coming out of a polygamous setting who wants to serve a mission has to be clear that they understand that is wrong and is sin and cannot be followed. Uh, they disavow the practice and of of plural marriage and that would be the same case here they would disavow or or assent i guess is maybe a better way to say it to the doctrines and practice of the church as regards same-sex marriage 
So they would be saying, uh, as you said, not disavowing the parents, but disavowing the practice. So disavowing the practice, but not the parents. Right. So how do you do that is what I'm curious about. How do you say... This is what pisses me off. Like It's this. So how do you say, I hi, I'm 18, parents, and I'm going to join the Mormon church, and you know, here's the deal. I still love you guys, but I'm against same-sex marriage and I'm it's a sin it's a sin right I'm going to disavow not you personally but your love and your, your, your commitment life. and your relationship your life it's complete bullshit it that's saying I mean that's that's someone's life yeah uh, marriage is a huge part of people's lives their relationships with other human beings so to say I'm going to say that your relationship with another human being is a sin and I need to make sure that everyone is clear on how I feel that it's yucky before I join this church. Right. But we can still be in contact and have a good thing going on. (laughs) Well, this is like I said, that's why I think this is great. I'm, I'm happy about this because ultimately, I mean, I know there's pros and cons relative to the stigma, but for me, it's great because... It's going to drive people away from superstition and from hate and into the arms of modernity, science, and reason and rationality. But only time will tell. Yes, only time will tell. (laughs) All right. Well, listen, we usually leave you with something positive and something uplifting at the end but ah, we just don't this is too action-packed we're actually skipping two more stories i wanted to talk about josh feuerstein and his wacky starbucks video thing that he did and then also religious oh there are three stories the religious children are less altruistic there was a study we'll talk about this next time well that was part of what i was going to talk about i mean that was the study but well Well, you want to just go long and just talk about that? No. All right. That's that's fine. That's fine. And and then the other thing was the Yale censorship crazy thing, which we'll talk about again. This will give people to, we like to occasionally have some chance to have the, the listeners give feedback, especially before we cover a story. Oh, yeah. So if you have something to say about the Starbucks Christmas cup controversy, um, the, this, this study that everyone is talking about with the negative association between religiosity and, uh, childhood altruism or the Yale students who were very upset about the Halloween email exchange. Yeah. Just Google those Mm -hmm. and then sound off. We'd love to read your emails. We'd love to play your voicemail. 657-464-7609. Or email us a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We will address these on the very next regular episode. Of course, not on the bonus debate episode. Which is going to be released before the next regular episode. Uh, that's right, because we got a lot of work ahead of us, Brittany Page. Yep. A lot. Listen, we're going to end it there. No positive story. Just know that we love you. That's positive, right? Indeed. We appreciate you. You guys really are the best audience in podcast dumb. Is that a thing? Podcast dumb? I think so. <laughs> Thank you 
for listening twice a week for, or as often as you do. It really does mean a lot to us. When we receive emails, It, I know it's cheesy to say it warms our heart, but it really does. It means a great deal that we have a loyal listening audience who care about the issues, who join with us in moving the conversation forward. If you'd like to support the show other than listening twice a week, there is an Amazon link on the page. If you're going to go buy some shit on Amazon, that is where you do it. And every little bit goes a long way towards supporting your favorite show filled with news. News. And ridiculous comment. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It. Well, it's it's been very charming and fun to listen to since the beginnings. 